Alrighty. So. <clears throat> la, la. La. Gotta go back to the laws. La, 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 la. I kind of missed. That was, that was our signature for a while, and it's gone. It's not a tumor. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro and I am here with my emergency partner, Mr. Chris Tyler. Is that all I am to you? Is an emergency pod? I thought I was America's favorite spot guest host. You may well I- be. You I am the be, Charles, I'm, I'm, I'm the Charles Nelson Riley of this show. <laughs> I'm actually giving you, you know, maybe it doesn't sound like it, but I'm giving you credit because uh, <laughs> as as we we sit here right now, uh, there is a major what is it a category four category five storm four five. hurricane Ian going on in Florida, and Doctor Bill and Scott H Gardner were. Both, unfortunately, kind of, you know, they're, they're right now standing in the houses trying to, with buckets, ready yeah. to clear out the water. So uh-huh. neither of them was available. So, I, you know, just last night I sent a message to Chris and said, hey, you available to do a show? And thankfully, uh, yeah, you came through. Um, I'm always around. I'm like Superman. <laughs> yeah, that, that's like a frightening thought. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a little while since, since you've been on. And any. Have you done any sort of comic book or uh, pop culture uh, collecting or any involvement since the last time we spoke? Uh, it's been a couple of months. I, I've built a lot of Gundam models. I've built a lot. I built a big Star Wars, uh, a Spider-Man model. I've just I've been building models. That's that's how I've been trying to veg out and keep my sanity through all the craziness that is life. Uh, mm. You know, playing some Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, that's that's what I do. Yeah, well, as as you know, the uh, the allure of the pop figures is difficult. Is a difficult one to fight. It is a difficult one to and, fight. Uh, but so oh. I, I, I'm waiting now for Uh-oh. for my pre-order, which is supposed to be delivered here on October 20th, of Sonny Michael and Don Vito Corleone. Oh, of course. Of so course. Those, that's I'm, I'm excited about getting those. Uh, I do find I like to. You know, I I have some that are individuals. I do have Rocky, with no one else. But I I almost feel like I need to go get Apollo or Mr. T. Yeah, I have uh, oh, you know, I have Spock and Kirk together. I have. I, uh, I can't jump on the Trek ones because then I know I'll end up. With... You need all of them. That's why I won't buy myself Star Wars ones. If somebody gives me one as a gift, that's fine. But I, I can't I can't do Star Wars. I did get Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow just because I you know big GI Joe guy, but. Yeah, somehow I ended up with the Hulk, and I'm not even sure how I got the Hulk, but then I felt like I had to get Submariner, Doctor Strange, and the Silver Surfer. Oh, just so you could have all make, the Defenders. Yeah, make the, and, and yeah. I was disappointed because the, they were all, I don't need everyone who was ever a Defender. I mean, that's a little crazy. But no. I wanted Nighthawk and the comic book version of Valkyrie. They're not available. Oh, yeah. Neither one of those is available. I'm surprised they haven't done the comic book version of Valkyrie. But... Eh, I, I, I get the feeling that the MCU version of Valkyrie has proved popular enough that they're just ready to sweep the comic book version under the under the carpet. Well, I, I mean, I had no problem with the movie with them intimating that the, the MCU Valkyrie was the lover of the comic book Valkyrie. I kind of thought that was pretty neat. I don't need everything to be a one-to-one correlation in the movies. No, so. no, but I, I, I think the Valkyrie, you know, Valkyrie is... A title, not a name. 
I believe. So you yeah. could have numerous Valkyries. So I would like to see a, you know, at least a cameo, a walk across the screen, doesn't have to be much, of the uh, Brunhilde Valkyrie that we know from the comics. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, if they do another one, maybe they'll get there. I have no problem whatsoever with them introducing the new Valkyrie, again, the version that they have on the screen. But, uh, like I said, I, I, I always like when I could see the comic book come to live, life once in a while. Oh, me too, for sure. For sure. I'm looking forward to that Werewolf by Night special that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how they play with that and if it's, you know, if it is, in fact, going to open the door to the whole MCU horror genre. Well, it's having Jack Russell and Ted Salas. I know that for sure. And Elsa Bloodstone. So, Let's see We'll see how it goes. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to seeing Man Thing more than anything else, just because why not? Well, that could be a good way to end it off with Ted Salas actually, you know, converting to the Man Thing. Sure. And uh, you know, you 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 can certainly bring in the MC, you know, the Marvel Comics version of Frankenstein, the Frankenstein. Monster. I would love all the Marvel monsters to show up at some point. That would be great. I, I remember, and we co we covered it on a, an episode quite some time ago, but there was that uh, issue of Marvel Premiere where they did the uh, Legion of Monsters. Yes. And it was Werewolf yeah, yeah. by Night, The Man-Thing, yeah. Ghost Rider, uh, mm. Morbius, and I don't remember who else was in that group. So was, was the one, Living Mummy in one it? Other. No. Was the Living Mummy? But I, I would like, I wouldn't mind if, you know, obviously uh, Morbius is owned by, uh, by which, Sony. Sony, yes. And uh, if you saw that movie, you please. Stop. I have, I have not, and I, I probably will force myself to sit through it at one point. But oof. you know what? I'm actually not against sitting through and watching Venom, and I still haven't done that yet. So uh, the I'll, first I'll, Venom was relatively good for doing something completely divorced. From Spider-Man, the second one was meh, yeah. and Morbius was just snoozerama. Yeah, at some uh, point I'll probably get around to watching them all, but you know, I, I, my free time is a little bit at a premium, so right. you know, generally when I'm sitting and watching TV, I'm usually trying to pick stuff that my wife and I can watch together. And I'll tell you, while she'll do the MCU stuff, she's not going to want to watch Morbius. I could pretty much guarantee you that. Nobody else did want to watch it either, so there you go. Mm -hmm. So the, the latest news on that front is uh, Ryan Reynolds coming out and announcing yesterday that Hugh Jackman's going to be in the next Deadpool movie as Wolverine. Uh, you know what? Bring it on. I, I, I've, I've missed Hugh. I've missed, I've missed the, the six-foot-tall version of Wolverine. I won't lie. I think I, I think he's, he's probably, you know, age-wise, he's probably got one, maybe two more appearances as Wolverine left in him. Unless they go to the you know the old man Logan, motif. well if they already did that though. So. They did, and and funny I was I was talking to my daughter about that movie yesterday, and and it's one of those movies that I define as, uh, really good movie, and very well done, but I really never see never need to see it a second time. Uh, I've, I've watched it a lot. Because <laughs> it, it's it really is kind of a downer ultimately. It is, but man, it's so good. It's it's yeah, it's incredibly well done. It's well acted. I don't know why they had to do a black and white version on the video release. I don't really because get that. It's easy to do, and it makes you look artsy. Yeah. But I guarantee you, they'll put him in a friggin' costume in Deadpool. I guarantee it. I know we're gonna get some comic accurate version. Yeah, we're we gonna get the original yellow and blue one. Are we gonna get the Fang brown and if... orange one? Even if they do the stealth one, the the black and gray with the you know the triangles on the side and the piping and everything, I'd still be down for that. Just put put the damn mask on them at this point. Why not? The, the mask will be pivotal. Um, if they can do that. That's you know the whole key is just figuring out a way to do it that it's not going to look silly. And and you know the Marvel movies have done that over and over again, and they haven't shied away from trying. And that's the thing I keep pointing back to. You know, you think about when they did Rise of the Silver Surfer, you know, Fox was afraid to actually put Galactus in there, that people would think it was silly. I think you definitely could have put Galactus in there. What I always Absolutely. said is you put him in, I would have put him in there, like my way of kind of skirting the issue, I would have put him in there the way that they did the uh, the evil god creature in uh, Star Trek V. Yeah, just, you could have him as a floating head in the sky, just to, with, with that know, echoing, that, that booming it, voice and everything, yeah. you know. 
I want the G belt though. <laughs> the G belt and, and the original Galactus shorts. Hell yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean they well they nailed the costumes for for the FF. Those the, both of those movies I thought the costumes looked good. But you're also talking to the guy who likes the original Avengers cap costume. Like I like that yeah, looks yeah, I'm on board good with that. to me. I'm on board with but that I mean, totally. If, if they can make the you know the tactical scale armor look good in the last couple of Avengers movies, there's no reason you can't do it. The same thing with Wolverine's costume. It doesn't have to be pleather. You know? <laughs> totally agree be... with you. Yeah. So bring it on. I'm we'll ready. see what we get. It's you know it's, yeah. it's it's like an embarrassment of riches now when there's so many comic book movies and television shows that. You don't have to just sit back and beg for what's coming next and take the crumbs off the floor. You can pick and choose and say, you know what? I don't even feel like watching this one. <laughs> yep, that's I did that with a couple of them recently, you know, and I'm I'm a okay with that. Yeah, I, I just don't want to get to the point where they start saying, oh, see, we're making these and they're not making money, so we're going to stop making them. That's the only thing I don't want to happen. Yeah, and it's fine if you if you feel like you're going too fast right now, cool it down for a while, and then bring guys back later on. So, all that said, yes. Well, let's get to some comic books. You got it. And as the guests, I don't even want to call you a guest. I'm going to say <laughs> as the replacement host. Alrighty. Substitute host. What's the best way to I'm say the, this? I, I'm Joan Rivers. I'm Alf. This is the Tonight Show. Let's do this. I'm going to call you from now on. I'm going to call you Plan B. Oh, all right. I, mm. Okay. No, no that, that doesn't work? Uh, well, that's an OTC abortant, so I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I, my wife and I have been watching uh, the show The Practice. We've been we've been binging a lot of older shows, and we've been right. watching that. And uh, when they defend a murder case, plan B is to find somebody else to blame for the murder. So, you know, guys, guys on trial for murder, they'll get the wife on the stand to get her to say, yeah, he's a great guy. I can't imagine he'd commit murder. And the next thing you know, they're confronting her. Well, you did it. <laughs> you know, oh, that's God. plan B. I'm um, plan B. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's better than being plan Z or preparation H. So there you go. Well, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll do plan B for the moment, but that'll be kind of in italics and we'll come up with something better as time goes on. But being plan right. B, I always like to give you the choice. Do you want to go first or second? I will go first because uh, this is a 32-page comic that I got and there's not much dialogue in it. So unlike the one that you brought tonight, so I will gladly take the uh, stand first with uh, this before one. Before you and, go uh, over this one, I, I found it really interesting. Uh, because of the choice in the artwork as compared to the, you know, Burp Levin stuff that we've seen. Yeah, well, I'll, once we once we dive into this, we'll we'll go over who the artist on record is for this. Yes, yes, I, I I'm just that's that's the thing I found most fascinating in reading this one. But All go right, ahead. Well, if I'm on and it's a late. Uh... A, a late invite. Uh, chances are it's going to be Hero Sleepwalker Corner, and if you guess that, you are correct, because we are finally up to issue 12. This is rounding out the first year of the series. Uh, Sleepwalker, issue number 12, cover date of May 92, on sale in March of 92 for a whole dollar and a quarter. The editor was Don Daly. The writer and colorist is Bob Budiansky. The penciler is one, I'm assuming, very, very young Joe, now editor-in-chief, Casada. Uh, the anchor was Michael Bear. The Another anchor was Jimmy Palmiotti. And the letterer was Richard Starkings. So, there you go. And, uh, yeah, it surprised me that when I was flipping back through this, oh, Joey Q. All right, let's, let's see this. And All when right. you say a very young Joey Q, it's hard to imagine. This is 30 years ago. 30 years ago. I know it blew my mind. So I was like, oh, my God. This, this feels like, yeah. you know, to me, because I didn't really discover Sleepwalker until you introduced me to him. Uh, yeah. So for me, this is a relatively new character. And then to find out, like, this, like to think about this as being 30 years ago, it, it blows my mind. Yeah, sure, true. Because I was in there for a long time. He's a lifer, you know? Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> so uh, on our cover, we have the trade dress, uh, you know, the logo. The logo is upside down. And uh, Sleepwalker is gripping the logo with his uh, left arm punching through the uh, corner box 
Always love when they do stuff like that. And he's being engulfed by a whole bunch of serpents shooting lasers out of their eyes. Uh, and in the midground, we have an outline of uh, Nightmare, who uh, by this point has probably prop- popped up in Doctor Strange and other titles a bunch of times. Because he he's a 60s character, isn't he? Yeah, yeah he was introduced yeah. back in one of the very first uh, one of the first appearances of Doctor Strange if not the first I'm not even sure it may have been uh, you know so he, he's a long long time character yeah uh, and we've got some fiddly swirly bits in Nightmare's Domain with uh, Rick Sheridan uh, looking like he's uh, constipated and trying to take a massive dump in the bottom right corner as he's uh, writhing in pain <laughs> there you go uh, I really do enjoy this cover. I think it's one of the best ones of the series, uh, especially since they play with the uh, the logo in the corner box. Uh, and we open to Dark Dreams and Darker Schemes. And uh, we've got some moody, a moody uh, f- first page here of uh, a very, thankfully, spindly-looking sleepwalker uh, up on a tree with a clock tower in the background. And all the while... Um, the first couple of issues is uh, first couple of pages is Sleepwalker looking almost zombified, floating around the area of New York that Rick is in uh, while Rick sleeps, and he's uh, he's terrifying the human population. He's a little miffed about uh, everything that's been going on with him since he uh, he got stuck in Rick's mind. He's talking about having no mercy for the wicked, and he's just uh, using his warp beam on everything. He's wrecking cop cars, and he is not happy. Um, and then we cut to Rick waking up from a nightmare. Um, and uh, Rick's not happy either about it, but he kind of understands why he might be having those kind of dreams, especially with everything that's been going on. We get a couple of pages of uh, Rick doing his uh, foreman, uh, not foreman, superintendent stuff for the uh, the free housing that he's in so he can go to college and not have to pay for housing and paint the ceiling and he uh, falls asleep. And that's no bueno, because if he dies, then he's not going to be any help to anybody, as Mr. Epstein, his landlord, says. And our next little vignette is uh, Rick taking his dog Rambo for a walk, and he says, says "I got to sit down and think about everything that's going on." And as soon as he sits down and falls asleep, another nightmare with an unforgivable sin in it: Sleepwalker warps Rambo to death, the dog. This is I I was I was I was shocked. I had forgotten how dark this issue is, and uh, and, and Sleepwalker is just not having anything from anybody. Uh, even Alyssa shows up and tries to talk to Sleepwalker, and and then she gets twisted into a pretzel with the warp beam. All of this, another nightmare. Uh, so, uh, Rick gets back to his apartment, didn't paint the room that he was supposed to paint. Mr. Epstein's not happy, gonna lose his housing. All right, another day over, let me go to sleep. As soon as he goes to sleep, he's getting chased in his dreams by the Batman symbol, basically shooting lasers at a whole bunch of bats flying around and a giant sleepwalker who's ready to just destroy him. And in a neat little bit of art, we have the real sleepwalker tearing the corner of the panel where sleep, the dream sleepwalker is threatening Rick saying, no, Rick, we're, we're dealing with nightmare. And there's a great uh, one page piece of art with nightmare atop his nightmare steed in his nightmare scape. And, uh, you know, they do the fun thing where they put the villain's name in a big, bold, scary font. And uh, what happens next is uh, we get a little uh, little conversation and a little fighty fight between Nightmare and Sleepwalker. And Nightmare is doing the whole, I'm a night, I'm Nightmare. I'm supposed to make people's dreams unpleasant. That's my sole purpose for being. You Sleepwalkers... I can't, I, you know, I can't affect you guys because you guys don't sleep. And, uh, you know, what do you want me to do? And there's uh, some fun use of uh, Sleepwalker's work power and uh, Nightmare's throwing Nightmare brain leeches that will turn Sleepwalker into a mindless husk if they suck out his brain. It's all this good 90s stuff. So we get a couple of fun pages of art 
here. And, uh, you know, being a superhero comic, even one that's kind of as metaphysical as this one is, Sleepwalker does give a big old right hook to Nightmare's jaw. And, uh, you know, we get a little more conversation about what Nightmare is trying to do and, and the fact that he needs to continue to be Nightmare. And he says, you know what? I'm going to be a good guy. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you get back to the Mindscape. And he gives him this little device that'll let him monitor Rick's dreams so that, you know, he'll feel safe about uh, going back to the Mindscape and leaving Rick and everybody else on Earth, you know, uh, unprotected from from Nightmare. So uh, Sleepwalker takes his chance. He starts drifting towards the Mindscape. And uh, that's when we get the old Shakespearean aside that, so that us, the readers, know what the villain's true motivation is. And uh, Nightmare is, uh, well, he's Nightmare. He just wants to get Sleepwalker out of the way and have a, a way to potentially get into the mindscape and cause all sorts of horrific screaming nightmare trauma to Rick Sheridan and turn him into just a drooling nothing who's gone insane. But being a 90s Marvel comic... Sleepwalker ain't falling for any of this. So he uh, <clears throat> leaps out from behind Nightmare's throne, wraps him up and says, you, you messed up. You, you told me what you said, <laughs> that you thrived on the fear of others. And yes, I could have gone back to the Mindscape, but I dropped your little device in there so that you wouldn't be aware of where I was. And uh, mark my words, uh, you know, I'm going to protect Rick Sheridan, even if it costs me my own happiness in going back to my own home because for me there is no rest and uh yeah that was a lot of talking for not a lot of time <laughs> but uh overall it's a pretty fun issue especially coming off the um the last two-parter with the uh the special unit that was going in to try to take down sleepwalker we have a little less uh little less cheese in this one than we did in the previous couple of issues this is a, a pretty dead bang 90s marvel comic probably better written than some of the 90s stuff at this time if i say so myself i, I agree but, totally uh, i think this this is a change of pace not only artistically which is easy to say because there's a different artist on it a guest artist yep. but even from a writing point of view you know we're getting a very different perspective now you know even though it's a villain from another series it's not the same hey you know, what big character can we have guest star in here that's going to, you know, pump up the sales? No, it's one that thematically makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely does. I mean, Nightmare and Sleepwalker, you know, how long did it take them to think, oh, that might be a good combo? I mean, it, that should have Probably come less to... than a year because it's issue 12. <laughs> yeah, no, they might have they might have even had this one on hold from day one saying, you know, we got to get Nightmare in there, but let's get, you know. First, we have to do our Spider-Man and Ghost Rider issues. And, and get people green. buying the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a natural combo. There's no question about it. But, and and I really enjoyed the story and then, you know, the way it was written and everything. But the thing, like I said before, you started to give your uh, synopsis. The thing that I come back to on this over and over is I, I just, I love the Casada artwork in this. Uh, it's significantly better than a lot of the stuff that we'd been getting from uh, from Brett Blevins. Yeah, I, think, um, I think I said Barry Blevins or Burt Blevins. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's yeah, Brett. I think you're, you're right. It is Brett. Uh, but, uh, and, and it's definitely it's definitely different. It's not not that it's it's not quite 90s artwork yet. I mean, looking no. at it, there's you know what it is. And it's, it's Steve Ditko esque. As it, I mean, this character, you could, yeah. And and again, the way that Casada draws him, he must have, you know, been looking at the early issues like, I like this spindly, alien-looking Sleepwalker more than the big, you know, it's the '90s, everybody's gonna look like they're on roids Sleepwalker. Um, and it, I mean, for the the tone of this book overall, like that's the way he should look all the time, with the you know the ribbons on his arms draping off and the raggedy cape and everything. Um, he's still imposing. He's imposing because he's tall and he's got the big insect eyes and the weird face. He he doesn't need to be muscle bound, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, that being said, you know, the stuff in the real world is pretty humdrum. Um, but again, it kind of accentuates the fact that once we get into stuff that's in Nightmare's dimension, all I mean, he he draws Nightmare fantastically. I mean, Nightmare looks evil. You know what? Uh, you know what it looks to me a little bit like uh, like Sandman. Uh, yeah, and that would have definitely already been 
that was already going strong for a while by the time this came out. It's interesting the, the shot when uh, when Rick is is painting and and you know uh, Sleepwalker drops in because he's yeah. all white. He looks just like Moon Knight. He does, yeah. Dropping through the paint on the ceiling, yeah. But and, yeah, uh, I, I so, think you I think you're right. I think you hit on something though where the the real mm-hmm. world scenes are a little bit more subdued. Even though there's yeah. scenes where, uh, you know, Nightmare is, uh, not Nightmare, excuse me, where Sleepwalker is, the, the, I guess the nightmare of Sleepwalker is that he's attacking all the people and everything. So there's a lot going on, but it's definitely more subdued. And then once we get into the nightmare world, then then it becomes like, you know, no holds barred, Steve Ditko-esque, uh, oh, yeah. you know, from, from the Doctor Strange days. And it really just, it's very, very moody. It's very, very surreal. Uh, and and like you said, nightmare. Just the nightmare's face is drawn really creepy, and uh, you know, yeah, it's and, just, it's and, great. And Sleepwalkers is too. He keeps it. He keeps the face very lean with the super high cheekbones and the sunken cheeks. Yeah, kind of insectoid. Insectoid. Yeah, and he doesn't have the full the full square the lantern jaw nine you know superhero physique, which. Definitely play. I mean, when he's warp beaming those brain leeches, it's like that's a that you would think that was a horror character. Yeah. You know, the way he draws him, really the way it should be. That that should be the dichotomy of this character. He's horrible to look at, but he's a good guy. Um, and a, a, another little fun art thing is when he does the you know nightmares talking about the, the race of sleepwalkers, and we've got just a little corner panel of a whole bunch of them. They've got all different shapes and sizes and physiques. And, and one of them is definitely a woman. Cause there's, uh, there's breasts there. It's like, all right, we're getting a little more world building here. I kind of like that. So but they're also kind of, uh, they're all done with one color palette. So they're all either, you know, just black and kind of a, a brownish orangey, oh, yeah, brownish orangey. Uh, Beige, yeah. so, so it keeps you from really focusing on any details. You could see, that they're all slightly different in shape and everything, but you could also see that they're all from the same kind of race. Exactly. Uh, but you know, it's still shrouded in mystery, which I like. Oh yeah. Well, we're gonna get we're gonna we're gonna get more about the mindscape. Not not too long, I don't think. If okay, I'm well, we've been doing now correctly. Sleepwalker Corner for what about three four years? I guess so. And we're up to issue twelve. So yeah. It's... So another three four another uh, six or eight years we'll be done. <laughs> Then I'll have to track down all his guest appearances and other stuff. <laughs> well, then we'll have, uh, no. you know, Heroes Hercules Corner or something. Ooh, yeah, I could probably do that. Um, yeah, but this this one, I mean, the first couple of issues, you know, established the character, and we've had a little bit more about what's going on in the subconscious realm. Uh, but this one is the first one where really kind of like, all right, let's focus back in on what can we do with this character that we can't do with anybody else, really, and using Nightmare and, and doing more world building regarding the, the, the race of sleepwalkers is, is one of those things that does kind of start to tie everything together in this series. Um, like I said, there is more stuff to come and some more revelations regarding the the sleepwalkers as we go forward we also get more 90s cheese and more guest stars coming up too but okay um, i was hoping that yeah. i was hoping that that might this might signal the end of that because this has the feel of budiansky um, saying you know now that i've gotten now that i've done the obligatory guest spots i can start making this story the way i want it to be that's what it feels like to me yeah and again it's it's not as much uh, going forward at all um i think I think Mr. Fantastic shows up at one point. Um, I'm trying to think if there's really any other big guest star spots. Oh, the Infinity War crossover. I think that's issue 18 or 19, which it was Infinity War. When you... yeah. Or Infinity Crusade, one of them. I can't yeah, even I remember think at, that at this point. point. I, I don't think he was involved in Infinity War. I think, uh, you know, you, you had the Infinity a... Gauntlet, then Infinity War, then Infinity Crusade. I think that Crusade, is the one yeah. that he was involved in. Yeah, and which unfortunately it's just I got to get that that tie-in in there. But you know we're we're a couple, we're about a year away from getting to that one anyway. <laughs> so um, yeah, but this one um, this is one of the, this is one of, this is 
probably in the top two issues out of the first year of, of this book. Um, and I and I love all the early stuff with the real Ditko and Stanley kind of goofiness, but uh, this one does kind of start to elevate it to our. It's more than just a a '90s action book because we can do some other stuff with this character that we can't do anywhere else. No, I, I haven't had any contact with Jimmy Palmiotti since probably about a year or two pre-pandemic when the last time I actually ran into him and was talking to him at Comic Con. Uh, uh, but but there was a time when I when I was having fairly regular, you know, occasional contact with him, uh, and okay. I always kind of you know I was I always thought he was a cool guy, and I remember him saying at one point that he made a decision, I'm not going to ink anyone anymore unless I feel that they're a better artist than me, Ooh. something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing slightly, uh, so. I, I think, I mean, obviously this would predate that thought, but I think it may be, uh, the, you know, I, I just remember Casada and Palmiotti being linked uh, by a yeah, lot of people. Yeah, because I And a um, lot of series that, that they must have worked together on. And, and, I, and I think it's just a matter of they, they work together so well. This, I don't know how much of this Michael Bear did and how much Palmiotti did, but just, I, I, I just, I'm looking at this book and I just keep coming back to how beautiful it is. Yeah, it's one of the better drawn issues out of the whole out of the whole series. Um, and again, who knows why? I mean, it could have been maybe Booty, uh, maybe Blevins works fast, and that's fine. I mean, that's what Vita Junior does. He works fast, which is why I don't particularly care for his art much anymore. Um, and that's fine. But again, it's a new book. Who wants to jump on a new book if you're the artist on it? Are you going to sink it or make it swim? So who knows? But again, maybe you know he could have just been his turn in the rotation. To like, are you gonna do a fill-in on this book, or we're trying new out? I mean, I don't know. I don't. I'm not really sure when he even got started. You know, I'm gonna click on Joe here in uh, Mike's Amazing World and see how far back some of this stuff. Goes. It, it, nah, it sure doesn't started. feel like a fill-in. I mean, in I know it of, is, but it, it doesn't feel like it. No, it feels like the book should have been drawn like mostly like this for the first year. But again. You know, you got to squeeze Spider-Man and Deathlock and uh, Ghost Rider and everybody else in. And, you know, I get, I, I get it. I mean, that's what every book was doing unless, you know, even the established books were having the crossovers with the new Fantastic Four with Spidey and Ghost Rider and Wolverine and Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. I mean, that was about the same time. You know, it's just that's what they were doing. You got to. Gotta make that money, you know. And Wolverine, oh, that is the bottom Spider-Man line. sells books. That is the bottom line. Yeah, but uh, no, it doesn't feel like a fill-in. It feels like it's a direct continuation from like the first couple of issues where we're first getting introduced to Sleepwalker, and it does kind of, you know, the last couple of issues have been very street level, which is fine because Sleepwalker can work in that street level milieu as well, but. Um, you know, play with play with that palette a little bit. Let's let's, let's get weird. Well, it it also has the feel of like a beginning of a, uh, you know, it, of a rivalry or whatever. Where you know now Nightmare is going to be scheming on how to, uh, you know, how to attack Sleepwalker next, kind of. Yeah, spoiler alert: he doesn't show up again. That's a shame. Yeah, it really is. But again, the book didn't even last three years, so. Well, it did on our show. <sighs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lasted longer on talking about it than it did in actuality. No, we, uh, you know, the little corner box for the T. So the next one is Sleepwalker Faces. Could, could it be his, could it be Sleepwalker is an addict? Ah, we'll find out. It's the 90s. We've got to tackle that problem. So, and, uh, that means I think, uh, I think one of, uh, Sleepy's big bads for the, you know, series is coming up next. So, yeah. It's not equal. No, it's not eight ball. And again, I think he, I think he comes back once. Um, no, it was a Prisma or something like that. I don't know. I, it's been a while since I've read them all. I, I'll know looking at the next issue. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been, I've been reading them as we do them. So it's taken me three yeah. years to get this far. Hey, there you go. But uh, yeah, what do we? Uh, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. We have a multi-part story coming up. We got a, we got a four issuer. Coming up after this, uh, uh, we might have to do that one in rapid fashion. Then I, we might have to because I, I don't. I know it's four issues, but I'm not sure how much of it we 
we'll actually need to talk about. We'll see. Maybe maybe we'll do it. Maybe we'll split it over two shows and do two issues. Yeah, that works. Each time. That works for me. All right. Well, that's something to look forward to. In the meanwhile, let's rate this one. Um, all right. Cover. I'm giving this cover a nine. I'm giving the inside story a nine. And I'm going to give the inside artwork uh, an eight. And uh, that's a pretty high score. Okay. We're we doing numbers or letters. I can never read. We, we do letters, but I was just oh, indulging. Oh, okay. In all right. So AAB. Okay. I'm going to say AAA. Because I really right. like this interior artwork a lot. I'm like not giving it an A plus. You know, I'm, no, I'm not giving it, it the best of the best. But no. I'm still, it, it's still really, really good. And especially after seeing the buff sleepwalker in, in some of the issues that that have recently yeah. passed, to see to see it done this way, which I consider to be the right way. Yeah. It, it's it's a big difference, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, Buff, Buff Sleepwalker is coming back real soon. Yeah, and, it, and, my, so. and my grades might reflect that. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> Which is funny, because the, the few times he's popped up since his series ended, when they draw him, they do draw him as the very otherworldly, spindly Sleepwalker. I most recently he... remember him showing up in the FF, and I thought he was the Buff Sleepwalker. Was he? Maybe it was. I can't remember at this point. That's what my memory is, but you know, I'm I'm old and feeble-minded, so it's possible I'm wrong. It's possible I'm wrong too. So I don't know. Well, what, what, you know what? If we ever get there, we'll get there. There you so, go. So yeah. that'll do it for this entry in Heroes Sleepwalker Corner. And my book is an older one, and this this one goes back to slightly before I started collecting comics, but easily accessible at and, th and this is something i have to bring up every once in a while because people think in the 1970s there was no such thing as comic book stores there were <laughs> they just were a little bit harder to, to, to find uh and you know than they were in the 90s and the early 2000s but anyway uh there was a comic store that i you know i and my friends and my cousin used to go to and this wasn't so far removed from being new so this issue was one that I bought out of their back issue bins for 25 cents, which at the time was a markup on the cover price of 20 cents. <laughs> oh, my Lord. But anyway, this, you know, this this goes back. There's just, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of nostalgia that goes to this. It's Fantastic Four number 129, which has a cover date of December of 1972 and a release date of se September 19th of 1972. The cover by uh, John Buscema, Frank Giacoya, and John Burporton shows the thing front and center uh, with Medusa on one side holding his right arm with her hair and pulling back and Thundra on the left side with her chain around his other arm. And the two of them are kind of playing a strange game of tug of war. And then we have the floating heads of the Human Torch, Sue Storm, and Reed Richards. And it uh, says, all this and the fantastic, Fightful for two. enough said. So, as is my want, I'm going to the Marvel Wikipedia, because I'm lazy. And the <laughs> issue is called the Frightful Four Plus One. Ooh. Returning to the Baxter building from their last mission, both Reed and Ben have collapsed from exhaustion. As they recover from their battle with the Mole Man, the thing resigns to the fact that Alicia will remain blind for the time being. And just by the way, that's uh, there was a couple of issues where they, the mole man, ended up fighting, and there was something where they made it, they pretended like they can cure Alicia's blindness, but they couldn't. Which I, I get the feeling, if I remember right, this is like a story that's come up several times. Anyway. Oh, really? It has it with Alicia Masters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Johnny decides to take this as an opportunity to tell them that he intends to leave the Fantastic Four and go to the great refuge of the Inhumans so that he can be with his girlfriend, Crystal. When I Reed asks him. Johnny to think this idea through, he refuses to listen and flames on, almost burning Reed. Johnny then rushes to the pogo plane with Reed and Ben in tow. As Johnny begins to blast off, Ben grabs the ship to try to keep it in place. But Sue steps in and turns his arms invisible. This distracts Ben long enough for Johnny to blast off and fly away. When Reed asks why Sue helped her brother escape, she explains that Johnny is an adult now, and he's going off after the woman he loves. 
When Reed questions her further, she comments on how Reed is blind to think blind or more blind to things than Alicia, leaving Ben to believe that Sue's days as the shrinking violet of the team are long over. As he begins to wonder if the Fantastic Four can endure with the torch without the torch on the team. Meanwhile, Johnny arrives over the great refuge of the Inhumans in the Himalayan mountains. When he passes in for a landing, he has to pull away as there is a dome erected around the hidden city. Suddenly, his ship is destroyed by a trio of flying Inhumans. Flaming on, Johnny fights back, thinking that Maximus must have taken over the Inhumans again. The torch's battle with the three Inhumans proves short-lived as they snuff out his flame, but manage to catch him before he fatally hits the ground. They don't mention here in the synopsis that he actually did that on purpose because he realized that was the easiest way to get in to see Crystal. Anyway, Ah, taken into the hidden land, Johnny is shocked to find that it's not Maximus in charge of the Inhumans after all, but Black Black Bolt, their rightful ruler. Or as we know now, his name is Blacktagon... Blackagar Boltagon. Yes. (laughs) Which I find to be very amusing. Ah, That's Kirby, baby. Back at the Baxter building, the remaining members of the Fantastic Four are brooding in silence when suddenly they receive a mystic summons from Agatha Harkness, asking Reed and Sue to pick up their son Franklin. She explains that they need to take him back because she has important business to conduct. The old hag. When Reed (laughs) tells Sue that she will have to pick Franklin up alone as he has work to do in his lab, Sue reacts poorly to this and storms out, angry that Reed is once again dictating the positions they share in the marriage. This latest explosion bothers the thing deeply, and he decides to go take a walk and see what Alicia see what Alicia can shed on the subject. Wait, there's so many little typos in this. See what light Alicia can shed on the subject, I assume it should have said. Anyway, while walking past a construction site, the thing hears a woman scream and duffs his disguise to go and investigate. This turns out to be a trap, as he is ambushed by three of the original members of the Frightful Four. The Sandman, Trapster, and the Wizard. Although they have the element of surprise, they're suddenly ambushed themselves by their former teammate Medusa of the Inhumans. As the fight rages on, the wizard tags Ben with one of his anti-gravity discs, but Medusa pulls him back down to safety. When Ben, thro- when ben-, when ben throws a construction vehicle at his foes, it's deflected by the fi- Frightful Four's newest member, the super-strong Amazon calling herself Thundra. Thundra has paired up with the Frightful Four because they have promised to bring her to the strongest man on earth so that she can defeat him in combat. Because the thing is reluctant to fight a woman, Thundra gets the upper hand in one-on-one battle until Medusa comes to his rescue. Thundra then flings Medusa away, but she is saved from a nasty impact by the thing. As the frightful four close in, Ben is knocked out by the combination of blows by both the Sandman and Thundra, while Medusa is incapacitated by the Trapster's paste gun. Thundra and Sandman almost come to blows with each other over his interference in her fight with the Thing, but the wizard breaks it up. He reminds them that the Thing and Medusa, de- with the Thing and Medusa defeated, they will have less opposition to their grander plan of defeating the Fantastic Four. To be continued. So, this is the introduction of Thundra as, as a character. This is the first appearance she ever made. Uh, I found her to be really interesting initially. And then I just think they kind of ran out of steam with her. I, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I felt like, you know, one, when they came up with that story where there was the one world that was ruled by women and another world that was ruled by men and they merged somehow. And, and the, the one ruled by men was called like machismo or something like that. It was, oh, it was like so, it felt so cheesy that it kind of like hurt my, my enjoyment of the character to some extent. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, she she looks like a discarded Kirby design. I mean, that's you know, that's it's pretty close with well, the little headdress. And the, you know, this this was Busima drawing the uh, Fantastic Four, and I think when he first came onto the Fantastic Four, and he didn't really do it for very very long, but when he was doing it, I think he was told to try and continue the feel that Kirby had given the book for so long, um, and I think that was the goal. For, for a very long time, even when Rich, Rich Buckler came in, that they were trying to keep that Kirby feel, which is why I think they kept Joe Sinnott on for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not going to criticize that. I, I uh, you know, I, I, I like the Kirby look, and I'm pretty I cool. No, I, I'm not criticizing it either. I just, I'm just saying it, it, 
you know, it led you to your point about them trying to make it look look the same. Which, you know, you can't blame them. They did the same thing with Spider-Man when John Romita came on for a bit. My, my, origi- my original thought when I was looking to pick a book for today, my original thought was I was going to do a Kirby book because I enjoy talking to you about Kirby and his ugly characters. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I ended up on this one instead for some reason. But uh, this this was, you know, this brought back like a lot of nostalgic feelings to me. Uh, but there are some really silly moments in this thing. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to look when... when uh, when Reed tries to grab him and, and he burns him, and then his the Human Torch's answer is, I didn't hurt him, sis. His gloves protected him from all but the heat. Oh, well. That's Isn't the heat you. really the only thing you got to be afraid of? Yeah. And isn't that going to well, cause you know, blisters a... and melting skin and, you know, all sorts know. of it's problems? A... Well, they have the what the uh, what, what the impossible molecules or whatever they are unstable, unstable molecules. molecules. See, I'm getting can, I'm, now I'm I'm so I've rewatched the Venture Brothers about eight times in the last five years. So every time I look at Reed now, all I can think of is Professor Impossible from the Venture Brothers because it's a really good parody of Mister uh, Fantastic. Oh, so he, he burns his way through like I guess multiple walls of machinery, which I'm sure causes untold damage, but. Yeah, we'll move thanks, on from that. Thanks, Johnny. When when the thing is holding the the rocket that he's looking to take off in, shouldn't the rocket just lift the thing off the ground? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't see Ben like uh you know trying to grab the pavement with his big thing toes or anything. He's just standing there planted trying to you know yeah he'd be gone. Yeah, the, I mean, the, be, the rocket would just take off and he'd be hanging onto it. You know, it, it's just because you're strong doesn't mean you can defy the laws of physics. No, no, or gravity. Reed Isaac had Newton a, would have a problem with this. Reed would have had a better chance stretching himself around the thing and, you know, t- tying himself into a knot around something to keep it from <laughs> lifting off than the thing does. So, uh, I mean, there's moments like that in this story. But other than that, like I said, this filled me with nostalgia. I love this era. You have the, the you know, the basically foreshadowing of... Uh, Reed and Sue's breakup, which was in effect when I started buying the Fantastic Four. She had already left him. Uh, and that was, to me, that was the, it was like the first time he she left him. And it was also the most pivotal one for me. You know, after that, when they had it, it was always, I think they did it again during Civil War. But it, it never seemed quite as real to me. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's, how many times can you go to that well? Exactly. You know, it's, it's it's the easiest it's the easiest way to create melodrama. Now, I'm not going to say drama. It's melodrama because I mean, at the end of the day, well, you know, with people that are in charge now, maybe they would have them get divorced or, you know, magically annulled. But back in the day, no, they were always going to come back together. So, come on. It's interesting that the uh, the Sandman did away with his supervillain suit. Uh, that he, yeah, he doesn't need it. No, he doesn't need it. And I think it was not a popular choice, and it was kind of goofy looking, honestly. But when they first introduced it, they had all sorts of little gimmicks that he could use with it uh, to to enhance his powers. So He's, his whole body's a gimmick. But what what they what they <laughs> probably should have done was to sometime before this have an issue where that suit just didn't work out for him and he decided to get rid of it. Because <laughs> in this one, he's just, just like, yeah, I don't need that anymore. And, you know, well, what's the logic for that? Uh, this, oh, the Sandman throws a bulldozer at the thing. Meanwhile, the Trapster is driving a truck at him. <laughs> so now, let's just say for argument's sake, if the thing isn't able to get out of this as he does, mm-hmm. the bulldozer and the truck hit the thing at the same time odds are the trapster is dead yeah yeah head-on collision so that that doesn't Uh. really really work then he he pulls him out of the truck and it actually looks like the way it's drawn it looks like he's going to spank him I, I just, you know, just going back to him, you know, the traps are potentially being, I don't want to live in a world without Pace Pod Pete. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, that's just how I feel. 
I do like Medusa coming over to help, which I feel like is a kind of a precursor to the not too distant future when she actually joins yeah. the Fantastic Four when Sue leaves. So I feel like they're setting that all up. They're, you know, they're setting up the the separation for Reed and Sue. They're setting up Medusa joining the FF. They're uh, you know they're going to do a lot with Johnny now with Crystal and take care of that because she's she's off making woo with uh, Pietro. Excuse me. And, uh, you know, he's going to find that out, I believe, two issues from now. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot going on here. And like I said, for me, I have to admit a lot of it is colored by nostalgia. It's hard for me to look at this and not be nostalgic towards it all. So I'm more curious to hear what you think of it. Uh, well, I mean, again, I'm not I'm not a stranger to reading the FF. Um, I mean, I've, I've read the whole the whole Kirby run uh, after that it's you know spottier um but it, it felt like an FF issue to me I mean it's it's got the four of them it had they're, they're referencing Alicia it's got the frightful four uh and it has the the big crazy uh, Reed Richards tech going on with the pogo plane and you know all the stuff that Johnny burns through and oh we're talking about the Inhumans and it's it felt like i don't want to say a run-of-the-mill ff issue but i mean i get you know that's when you come into the ff that's what you're going to get you're going to get the soap opera and the melodrama and the action that is typical with a with a fantastic four issue um i i jumped right into this without really having to be told anything i was able to follow along without a problem um you know because i know these characters relatively well and uh, I just I went along and I was like, oh, God, it always blows my mind when we go back and read stuff from the 60s and 70s and the 80s, just how much dialogue they actually do manage to cram into 32 issues as opposed to a lot of the stuff they do now or they did in the, you know, the 90s and early 2000s before they just started photostatting the same panel over and over again and cramming dialogue in, which, you know, that's bad in the opposite way. Um no, this one this one took me a good long time to actually read because I I haven't read this this chunk of of FF so I was like all right let me see how much of stuff I can pick up from here and you know I know that Johnny and Crystal have been a thing off and on and I know that Reed and Sue have had issues off and on and um and the uh, Franklin was born Franklin was born when Kirby was still on it yeah. right uh, I believe I believe yeah, it was so annual number six yeah so I mean that's you know that's been a little while, and it's and I totally forgot that Agatha Harkness was the one that was gonna, you know, take care of him and mentor him. Yeah, Agatha, use a uh, telephone. What the hell? Well, why would you use a telephone when you can astral project or magically project? And this is this is not this is not the the hot charming Agatha Harkness from WandaVision. This is the <laughs> old crone Agatha Harkness. Yeah, from, but there's some stuff who, coming up. Who was originally a villain? There is some stuff the, coming up with her with her her son. Uh, was it Nicholas Scratch, I believe is his name, and yeah. the, the uh, Salem Seven, and there's going to be some cool stuff with that. It's not not for right. a little while yet, but it's coming. Everything that you like in comics from the last 50 years, Fantastic Four did it first, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's largely the case. Uh, you know, one, one more thing that, that just, you know, from a uh, silly point of view, Thundra takes Medusa, takes her by the hair, swings her around, and throws her. So how does the thing rescue her? He grabs like a chunk of sidewalk and throws it up in the air so that that's what she bangs into and drops to the ground. Well, I mean, I guess if he's throwing it at a relatively low velocity, then that will, you know, be less impact than her just taking the. I don't know. Yeah. Comic book physics. Yeah. It's, it's it's like it's like you know the kind of thing that Stan Lee would have done back in the day. Make, yeah, makes no 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 sense really, but we're gonna just run with it, and then you know have her they, say, "Oh, it was fine." <laughs> yeah, been, the the, FF, the thing has been a hero for like what seven years of publication, by the more than seven years of publication. He knows what he's doing. I trust him. Uh, at this point, it would have been, I, I believe, eleven years. I think they were introduced oh, in sixty one. Sixty one. Jesus, why did I think sixty five? Yeah, so he knows what he's doing. I, I'd take Ben Grimm. I, I'd trust Ben Grimm probably over anybody else in the Fantastic Four over you know saving my life. So, yeah. And then you, you, yeah. on the, the second to last panel, the shot of the wizard uh, looks like totally maniacal. Which I yeah, like. You the, know, he's, he's, he's 
eventually, not not so much here, but eventually he really was written to kind of be Reed's almost equal as far as intelligence. Yeah. But he, his downfall was always ego and just insanity. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's foiled many a, a good villain that we that we like to root against. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I, I he's I love the design. I know it's a simple design. He's just got the big cr- cranial helmet. But you know, I just I love it. I love that. You know, and and then Pace Pot, uh, the the trapster, with his goo gun. I mean, it's you know, write your own joke. It's just I I love it. <laughs> How could how can you not like the Frightful Four? Come on. No, the Frightful and Four th- great. And Thunder is hot. I mean, come on. Big buff redhead <laughs> with a belly shirt on and a chain. I mean, that cover where he's getting wishboned by the two of them pulling, it's like, I don't think he's having a bad time there. He's a big boy. He can take it. The, the way she's originally presented, again, you know, I'm, I'm all good with she comes from a planet of women and she's trying to show a seniority. you got to remember, this is in the early 70s. You know the the women's lib unit uh, unit um, the win, women's lib movement was still a thing back then. You know they 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 really you know weren't given the same respect that a lot of other that a lot of men were. Uh, so I, I'm kind of cool with you know it being written that way. But it's when they eventually got the planet machismo that it really just kind of turned me off to it. Uh, but but just her her wanting to prove her superiority. Was I think was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're from a warrior race, then that's how you would evaluate your uh, your worth. You know, who who can I best in combat? You know, and it's not it doesn't it's not a malicious thing or anything. It's just um, my function is to be a a warrior from a race of warrior women, and um, you know, let's see what I can do. Yeah, yeah nothing wrong with that. And I'm gonna be, I'm gonna take you know the strongest man and best him and you know they they did misguide her because they said they were taking him to the strongest man which you know realistically would have been the Hulk but you know whatever. Well you know yeah. that's true but where's the Hulk now like I, in 1972 I don't know where he is at this I, I point, don't even know who is. at this point you still have the Hulkbusters chasing after him. Um, All right so he's not even in New York he's somewhere else. No, he's probably in the desert somewhere. Yeah, it can't hurt anybody. Yeah. No, it's uh, this was this was this was fun reading this because again this this chunk of time in the FF I I have very little exposure to so. Uh, this this time in the FF I have one hundred percent exposure to. Hey, as you well you know you were you were, you were a kid reading them then there you go that's that's all right. So I'm gonna give you my very very subjective view on this because i can't be objective because i just i love this era uh i think the cover is solid i think it's exciting it was the kind of thing i would love to pick up back then it isn't iconic so i'm going to say it's a b uh but it really you know there's no question i would see this and say i have to own it and when i saw it i had to own it uh the the interior art it's not quite kirby but it's john buscema which is almost as good uh, again, some of the story beats in it, uh, the way they're drawn, like you, you can't imagine that, you know, like him throwing up the piece of sidewalk and then, uh, you have to throw the dialogue in there where she's like, oh, it's fine. Uh, it's almost like, you know, Roy Thomas had to, uh, had, had to make up for some of what, you know, Buscema's overreaction to things that kind of, uh, but again, just, just like the cover really solid. I'm going with a B on the artwork. And the story is just fun for me from beginning to end, and that's an A. So overall, I'm going to give the book a B plus. All right, uh, I'm not going to go quite as high. And again, I don't have the nostalgia goggles on. Um, I think I, I, the cover is fine. I would have liked it better if it was just. Uh, I, I don't need the floating heads and all the extra text, and I know that's how they're getting you to bite, buy the book. But if it was just the Medusa and thing and Thundra on there with the dialogue that would have been enough for me um you know two hot chicks and then my favorite member of the ff you know battling for his life that's that's all i would need um i in in terms of the interior art i i can't go quite quite as high as you um either just because it's there are some odd decisions in here occasionally um 
and it's just I know he's trying to do Kirby. It's it's pretty good. Like I didn't have trouble following anything, but it's not Kirby and it's not John Byrne. So it's like, uh, you know, I, again, I'm a Kirby Mark. So, but it, you know, Reed's got the square jaw and the gray hair, and the thing looks great in every panel. Sue's pretty hot in every panel. Uh, Johnny doesn't really look like a teenager anymore. He look kind of looks like a young adult, but he probably would be by this point anyway, especially if Franklin's a couple of years old. Especially if he's uh, old enough to fly a plane and and looking to get married. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. Um, and uh, I do like that little that little panel of of Black Bolt with some of the other random Inhumans scattered. I, I really him. dig the, the the Inhuman all the way to the left. Oh yeah, with the creepy face. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's good stuff. I, I would have liked more of that in there. But again, and they're using the Kirby designs on all that, the Kirby architecture and the weird wing dings on the helmets and everything, and I'd eat that stuff up. Um, and, uh, I mean, in terms of the story, I got sucked right in because um, I love all these characters. Um, so it was no problem for me to jump in and, and get sucked into a, a middle ongoing piece of you know a story that yeah so if they had a fight with the mole man a couple issues ago and now we're moving on to the next thing that's going to happen i'm right there i could keep reading from this point on and not have any issues uh reading it so um yeah my my grades it's uh you know it's probably going to be cliche but to me this is just it's a it's a boilerplate ff story um you know it's transitional we're moving on to some other stuff with the band potentially breaking up for however many times that happens. Uh, but so the cover, uh, yeah, I'd give the cover a, a C plus. I'd give the interior art a C plus, and I'd give the story a B minus. So uh, that's yeah, it's about a C plus, right in that C plus B minus range, I guess. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed reading this. I might I might have to dive go back a, a little bit and start from there just because I'm curious and I know I'm a mark for the mole man as well so any mole man story is going to get my attention well, if, if you decide to go back I'm going to say go back a little further than this uh, If I don't know if you remember the character he was in the Defenders the Overmind uh, uh, he was in the, the later run of the Defenders but they kind of like really diluted him uh, he came into this in issue one 13 I believe and it was like kind of a really interesting storyline for three issues uh, which culminated in a double-sized issue with uh, Reed kind of being mind controlled by the Overmind and Dr. Doom helping the other three members of the Fantastic Four oh yes well that sounds like I have to read that because I mean Doom partners with no one unless it is to Doom advantage so that's, so, that's I, I would definitely right. recommend you, you you at least go back you know, as far as and then and then actually you have to go back a little further because there was a storyline where uh, Reed had cured the thing and made him able to control uh yes. changing back and forth from human form to the thing. Was that pre was that pre issue one hundred? Because I think I've heard the first time. No, that was uh that was issues. I think it started in one oh five and it ran through to one twelve. Okay. Right, and so 112 is a thing versus the Hulk issue. All right, well, I'll have to read. All right, so, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll, I'll, I'll start at issue 100 when I have the time to go back and start reading this next, you know, decade of... 100 yeah. is one of your, uh, you know, one of your anniversary issues where they have to set up kind of a fake battle where they fight everybody who was ever a villain of theirs. That's uh, uh, not a problem with me. I love that stuff. Then we have, we have a fill-in issue at 101, which is nothing special then we have a three issue run with uh, magneto and the submariner i was gonna say the submariner has to show up and, by that and then we have yeah. what was interesting was at that point kirby had left but they still had some kirby artwork from uh, a story that they had to kind of put piece together at that point uh before they okay. went into the whole storyline with the thing being cured. So there's some interesting stuff that goes on there. Uh, I, I think starting at issue 100 is not a bad place to start if you're already familiar with the All stuff right. before that. Oh, yeah. 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 I think uh, I think that's probably where I will start. No, this was a this is a good time reading this one. And it took me it took me a solid 20 minutes to you know sit down and read this one, which, cool. was, which was nice. That makes me happy. Mine did not. Mine did not take 20 minutes. Mine took about seven. <laughs> but I so. enjoyed yours every bit as much. So 
the, yeah, the, the no, time isn't a, always the deciding factor. No, no, I just I, and I, and I get it. You're gonna pump these things up, but you know what? I'm I, I'm more of a story guy than an art guy. Give give me the story, even if it's all visual storytelling. If it takes me time to uh, leer over the panels, like the GI Joe Silent issue, mm-hmm. which will take a good you know, 10 minutes to even just, you know, I, I need to follow this visually. I want to look at every panel. Can't really skip it. I, so. I totally get you, and I'm with you. I am mostly even on story and art, but I probably lean slightly story. Yeah, and and that's okay. Some people like it for the art, some people like it for the story. You know, it should be a melding of the two, but I need I need the narrative. That's, yeah, that's no, the way I'm my with you. works. All right, so on that, I'm going to call it a night. Thanks for, for pinch hitting on at the, at the last minute, but we're going to have to try and pick this up again soon because I do want to get into some of those sleepwalker issues and move that along a little bit better. So we're not going to wait as long before I hit you up to come back on again. Yeah, well, uh, you know me, I'm, I'm always around. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do this. Uh, it doesn't matter, three-man booth, four-man booth, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go anytime because I like reading comics and talking about them with my friends. Yeah, same here, so. buddy, same here. Thanks again, and thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.